Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. The Michael Reed Show Podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Thursday, the 19th of September, with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. Gardaí in Dundalk investigating a fatal stabbing yesterday are appealing for witnesses and information. A 31-year-old female was seriously injured and pronounced dead a short time later at Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital in Drogheda. A 48-year-old man remains in Garda custody. Ruth O'Connell from our news team joins us now. And Ruth, this happened at Linen Hall Street in Bridgewater Mews at about a quarter to three yesterday afternoon. What else can you tell us? Well, I can tell you that the Gardaí received a number of calls around that time and they actually were on patrol in the area at the time. So they responded and um, I know um, that members of the emergency response unit were actually administering uh, CPR um, on, on, the, on the victim when um, the paramedics arrived on the scene and they were on scene, both the guards and the paramedics were on scene quickly. Okay, and obviously the stabbing was fatal. So this is a murder investigation now. Yes, well, the, uh, formally they have to wait for the postmortem. I know it sounds weird when there are multiple stab wounds involved, but they have to formally wait until the postmortem results are available, um, and then it will be officially launched. Uh, at the moment, it's uh, being treated as a fatal stabbing. And um, she was found in the archway of the entrance. The entrance. It's uh, there's a gate there and it, the gate would have been closed, but there's also a pedestrian gate into it. And uh, that's where uh, she was found when um, the emergency services arrived on the scene. OK, and what else do we know about the woman or why this might have happened? At this stage, um, it's uh, very little information is available, but the, um, it appears that she, um, the, the man who's in custody was known to her. Okay, and uh, undoubtedly Gardaí then will have more information on where this investigation is proceeding later in the day. They will, and uh, just to stress that they are still appealing for witnesses, um, uh, particularly if anyone has any dash cam footage in the area and they want to hear from any any members of the public who would have been in the vicinity between, um, I suppose, half two and three o'clock, but obviously a quarter to three was the, the key period of time that they're interested in. And obviously uh, at that hour of the day, uh, given that it was... 
the middle of the afternoon, uh, there's the prospect uh, that somebody did encounter this. Absolutely. This would be a very, very busy road. It's one of the main entrances into Dundalk via the old Newry Road and anyone coming in from the Armagh Road into Dundalk would, uh, and going down the town centre, this is the route they would usually take. So it's a very uh, straight flowing traffic that comes through that area, uh, as well as uh, pedestrians that would have been in the area at the time. There's a primary school um, not not far from here, so there would have been uh, quite a few people in the vicinity. Okay, and uh, do we know at uh, this stage uh, when that post-mortem will conclude or when we can expect to hear from Gardaí? No, um, Garda Press weren't able to say that um, this morning. Okay, all right. And uh, if people do have information, uh, obviously they're asked to come forward with it uh, to the Gardaí. Yeah, there's an incident room has been set up at Dundalk Garda Station and if anyone wants to contact them, the number is 042-9388-400 or the Garda Confidential Line. That's a recording there, so you just leave a message if you have information. That's 1-800-666-111. Okay, thank you very much indeed. Ruth O'Connell of our news team. the woman involved is said to be 31 years of age, a Lithuanian national who has been living in Dundalk for the last eight years. Ingrida Machiokite was stabbed multiple times in the head, chest and neck. She has two young children, a one-year-old and a six-year-old, and neighbours have been recalling seeing Ingrida take her little girl to school every day. Ingrida worked in a, a shop in Dundalk dock and the mail is reporting uh, that the man who was arrested a few streets away from her home was an ex-boyfriend and indeed it's uh, suggesting that uh, the stabbing took place outside of our home in Dundalk as we've been hearing on L- Linen Hall Street. Uh, I'm sure we'll have more information on that later in the day. Uh, Marie is here and... Uh, I have all the details from the local newspapers, Michael. Wednesday morning and they should be in the shops and available to people. So uh, let's begin in Dundalk. Yes, we'll start in Dundalk first and the Argus is leading with the story that we covered in the show yesterday, Michael, about the parking charges set to jump as the council tries to claw back 1.5 million euro that's needed to maintain the current services. Meanwhile, they say a picture paints a thousand words and that certainly rings true in relation to a story on page 15 in the paper which highlights the plights of residents of Rillo Grove Estate just off the Carrick Road there who are running out of patience, Michael, because the road in their estate has a number of substantial potholes and the picture really tells the story. As I said, they're so bad, according to residents, that taxi drivers are refusing to drive into the estate. So that sums it up. Okay, that's the Argus. Uh, You've also got the Democrat uh, there in front of you and uh, the Democrat uh, is uh, focusing on a number of burglaries that have taken place locally. That's right. On the front page of the Dundalk Democrat, Councillor Anton Waters is calling for the Cooley community to pull together and to look out for vulnerable neighbours following the burglary of three North Loud businesses in the early hours of Monday morning. He fears that if this gang could target businesses, there's every chance that they might return and target vulnerable people in the area. So he's urging people to be on the the alert. On page six, meanwhile, reporter Tia Clark is highlighting the possibility that there could be two different time zones on the island of Ireland by October 2019 if the EU Commission proceeds to abolish summertime clock changing, which means Louth could see one hour time difference with border towns. So that Um, would be strange, Michael. There's a thought. All right, Um, let's uh, go to the leader 
Leader. Uh, and that's uh, leading with uh, concerns about Carlingford Lock and uh, after dredging that took place uh, that the material would end up going from Warren Point to Carlingford. That's right. The paper's reporting that the port currently carries out a major dredging programme every two to five years with material disposed of in the Irish Sea. But what's being proposed now could see dredging on a more regular but smaller scale with material placed at the site of the mouth of Carlingford Lock between Cranfield Point and Green Castle. And Margaret McCarthy from the Sub Aqua Club is worried that damage to, uh, to uh, worried about the damage to marine life that this would cause or might cause. Okay. Focus in Drogheda on parking. Yes, parking really seems to be dominating the papers in Drogheda this week and the plan for the 130, for 133 parking places for workers in Drogheda now seems doomed, says the lead story of the Drogheda Independent as Loud County Council is expected to cut costs to meet that expected shortfall in budget expectations. A story though that caught my eye in the paper this week is on page 3, Michael, and that involves the story of the local farmer being saved thanks to the decision of of Glen Emmett's GFC to house their newly acquired defibrillator outside the clubhouse. It transpires that the man suffered a heart attack at his home and someone with him knew that the defibrillator was available outside the club and it was used to save his life. Okay, we'll stay in Drada and the front page of uh, the Drada leader also reports on parking. It does and Des Grant is reporting that Loud County Council has begun to make a series of parking changes in the town of Drada, which some councillors are claiming uh, is the direct result of the parking charge being reduced to one euro. So we're feeling that already according to the leader. They're saying as well as fears that some new parking spaces will be lost for work there's anger over proposed 24 spaces on the North Strand for resident parking now being reduced to nine, the leaders reporting. OK, well, uh, much on uh, policing uh, today across uh, the country and policing, or indeed uh, the conditions uh, that Gardaí work under in Navin makes for the front page of the Meath Chronicle today. Yes, and this really makes for compelling reading. It's a, an interview by uh, Paul Murphy with Superintendent Michael Devine ahead of the Superintendent's Retirement, and basically, it's focusing on the poor conditions in uh, the station currently, which have been slammed by the superintendent. Uh, it lays bare the desperate need for purpose built divisional headquarters as uh, the superintendent outlines how Gardaí have been impeded by the lack of proper facilities in a building which he says is just not fit for purpose. On page 5 reporter Louise Walsh is reveal, revealing that the meals and wheel service in Dalik may face closure Michael which would be just awful and this is due to the worst funding crisis it has experienced in its 40 years history. The voluntary run initiative is now appealing for donations in order to continue providing hot meals to over 30 people in the village. All right, interesting stories uh, from uh, the local papers uh, this week. Thanks for that, Marie. And uh, people might want to make comment on uh, those uh, stories. I mentioned that because you'll be back in a, a short while indeed. with all of the comments. Uh, whether people want to comment on what's in the local paper, something else you've been hearing, or if there's a matter that you'd like to raise with us for that matter, we'd love to hear from you. Our telephone number is 1850 and you can text us on 086 now, there will be many people outside of Leinster House uh, today uh, voicing concern about the paying conditions of members of uh, the Defence Forces. But as Shelley Cotter told us earlier in the week, this is not a protest. It's a, a parade for respect and loyalty. Independent Senator Gerard Crockwell is one of the people who 
will be speaking to those who attend and he joins us now. Indeed, a former army sergeant yourself uh, and thanks for joining us. Uh, I was speaking to Shelley uh, about uh, the perception that many of us would have had one time about the paying conditions of members of uh, the Defence Forces and uh, she laid it out very starkly for us that all that has changed. Absolutely, Michael. Good morning. Good morning to you. Thank you very much for highlighting this uh, uh, issue. Um, Yeah, look, I mean, the truth of the matter is the Defence Forces are hemorrhaging people at this stage. We expect that the overall number of serving uh, Defence Force personnel will drop below 8,700 from an establishment of 9,500 by the end of the month. So specialists are walking out the gates and um, the morale within the organisation is on the floor. Shelley will have explained to you yep. the uh, poverty that some of the lower ranks are experiencing. Uh, and the reliance on welfare payments, whether that's family income supplement or, or HAP, uh, the housing payment. Yeah, it, 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 people will find it very strange when I say this, but um, up to the rank of captain, and indeed one or two commandants with large families, will now qualify for family income supplement. And that is unbelievable. I mean, in in my worst days back in the 70s when I was uh, in, in the Defence Forces in Galway, my God, I could raise a mortgage, I could buy a house, um, I didn't live like a king. Mm. Nobody going into the Defence Forces expects to be wealthy, mm. but they do expect to be looked after. And why was that? Uh, Shelley was talking about uh, allowances being uh, abolished. Was it uh, because of the value of your remuneration at the time plus the allowances, or was it something that you relied on uh, because of the allowances? You well, relied on the allowances to be able to do, in other words. Yeah, I, I I was one of those fortunate individuals that never really qualified for any allowances because uh, I, I was always in an instructor's post in at loan or I was in an administrative job in Galway. So I didn't mm. do a whole lot of duties like the ones Shelley would be talking about. But over the years, the duties, border duties, cash and transit, um, uh, guards, uh, Port Leisure Prison, various other places had allowances associated with them. Uh, which over a period of time, Michael, become incorporated into real pay. And um, the same would be true of uh, specialist uh, grades and things like that. Then we had the crash in 2008 and the Department of Public Expenditure and Reform took the scalpel to every profession. So it's not just soldiers. But um, the problem is there has been no restoration with the soldiers or very little at this stage. And... um, I, I just think that we're using a very crude instrument when we're looking at allowances. You'll be aware, Michael, I think I've heard you mention it once or twice on your own show, how allowances were an excuse for a pay rise down through the years uh, in order that they didn't have to give the same amount of a pay rise to other parts of the public service. So they developed uh, this notion of allowances, but in actual fact it was core pay. Okay, and uh, the parade today, I understand, has uh, the support of the Association of Retired Commissioned Officers. Simon Coveney, uh, former Minister for Defence, has said uh, he doesn't want to hear remarks such as those made by Brigadier, retired Brigadier General Gerard Hearn, reported on in the Irish Examiners today, that uh, there has been a uh, uh, special bond between members of the Defence Forces and the government, but the government has broken that bond and that the only repayment for serving personnel's loyalty was further abuse. Yeah, I can uh, understand how Minister Coveney 
uh, would not want to hear these things because it's very negative. And it is the first time, I think, today is a historical event because it is the first time that Defence Force personnel, um, uh, uh, veterans have come out. And if you look, every single uh, regimental organisation, the Retired Commissioned Officers Association, a retired Brigadier General Jarrah Hearn, a retired uh, Lieutenant Colonel, Lieutenant Colonel John Hamill, uh, specialist in defence and expert uh, Declan Power, uh, uh, Derek Power, um, a retired Sergeant Major. There will be five retired Sergeant Majors um, uh, uh, coordinating the movements of people here in Marion Square today. This is unprecedented. And um, while the Minister mightn't like to hear what people are saying, Michael, the truth of the matter is we have to hear it. And Shelley uh, Cotter told us uh, that uh, it's not Simon Coveney that she wants to hear from, or Paul Keogh for that matter. It's Leo Bradker because the Taoiseach is, in effect, the Minister for Defence. Yeah, and I'm afraid I, I'm very much of the same boat. I've had the Minister the Minister of State, uh, uh, Paul Keogh, in the Senate on a number of occasions, and there is nothing that he has said that gives me confidence that the Defence Forces are in safe hands. There is no policy in place to, for retention. The recruitment that we hear about, we're getting roughly 9% of those that express an interest in joining the Defence Forces actually go through and si- go through with the commitment and sign on the bottom line. 9%. And of those, a significant number of them walk out in the middle of training because they're not prepared to live on the uh, income that's been offered. All right. Well, it'll be a, a sizable turnout, or at least I think that's what's expected. It won't be a protest, but a, a parade, a parade for respect and loyalty. And I'm sure we'll hear much more from uh, the demonstration, if I can put it that way, later in the day. And thank you indeed. Michael, for I, I, I yes. want to thank you for this, because you're, you're one of the few uh, local radio presenters that has put this front and centre on your programme. And I really appreciate that. And I know the serving members of the Defence Forces will be extremely grateful to you. OK, well, I'm sure we'll hear a lot more over the coming days as a result of the turnout today. But thank you, as I say, for joining us this morning. Independent Senator Gerard Crockwell. Michael Reed on LMFM. The new political term got underway as uh, the Dáil recommenced its uh, business yesterday. It was a, a lacklustre start uh, to affairs with Fianna Fáil raising the pay of Section 39 workers as trade unions were reaching a solution on that pay dispute in the WRC. Sinn Féin asked for a three-year freeze on rent to be told uh, by the Taoiseach that he was focused on increasing the supply of housing. The most Colourful contribution in leaders' questions, at least, was to do with housing from Richard Boyd Barrett, who spoke about uh, activists occupying housing to be told uh, that there would be more housing if uh, the councils led by Sinn Féin and left-wing parties uh, didn't block it from happening by the Taoiseach. Our political correspondent, Sean Defoe, is on the line. Sean, there certainly weren't any knockout moments to talk about yesterday. Probably true to say that the more interesting things happened outside of the House with questions for Mary Lou MacDonald about Maria Cahill and indeed uh, the report uh, from uh, the Commission on uh, the Future of Policing in Ireland. Absolutely, yeah. Those were two of the big issues that were going on yesterday while in the Dáil. The politicians, I suppose, took an easy ramp up into what was going on. Mary Lou MacDonald forced over uh, about a 10-minute back and forth with journalists 
to say that Sinn Féin never covered up any of the alleged ab- abuse in Maria Cahill's case and that they, uh, you know, she was asked other in-depth questions about the reporting at that time and had to concede it wasn't. Great within Sinn Féin that some of the mechanisms for actually recording membership, recording who might be in the party and some suspects or suspicions about them who just weren't in place at the moment. She says that they are now. Mm. That was one of the, the issues that she was dealing with on the pins while also calling for this housing freeze, both Sinn Féin and the Social Democrats saying that it should be absolutely illegal for anyone to raise rents for the next either two or three years, depending on which party you listen to. And then, as you mentioned, the future of the Gardaí. I mean, the Gardaí, uh, many will think that the organisation has come across like a shambles in the last few years with the various scandals that have been surrounding it, with various justice ministers struggling to come to terms with it. And this future of uh, a policing commission report, mm. lots of recommendations about how they will actually reform it, how they'll change it up until 2022 and obviously a new guard, a commissioner in to oversee that. But it has been something that the politicians typically have hid behind and said, oh, we'll, we'll do reform when we see this report. We have to see this report. So now they actually have to go and do something and we'll have to see whether it will be implemented, if it can be implemented mm. in the timescales that are set down. And how effective that is. Yeah, well, I mean, you'd wonder if they'll uh, instigate uh, an implementation board by 2022, let alone the recommendations in the report, uh, because it's a report that uh, speaks uh, to changing the police force uh, from uh, one from the last century to a a modern police force. uh, But it's not costed, uh, and there's a lot of cost uh, attached to a lot of the recommendations. Yeah, there's going to be a huge amount of work to still go through now that these recommendations have been done. And we've seen it with other reports that have come out in the past in relation to how Angara Shikona could be reconstructed. There was a very in-depth one done in 2014. I remember covering the launch of it and there was a whole suite of recommendations of great recommendations that could mm. be done and very, very few of them have been implemented more than three years later uh, in a time when there is more money now for the government to play with and to actually resource Angara Shikona. We've seen two Garda commissioners gone in the last couple of years. We've seen the same with two justice ministers as well. There hasn't been that real leadership from the top on this. And as you said, I mean, you restructure any organisation. If you were to restructure a radio station this mm. morning with, you know, 20 staff, it would be difficult, let alone if you're trying to restructure on Garda Shia while also dealing with the huge amount of retirements that are going on, training up new Gardaí who will have to come in and replace them, the whole issue of trying to get more Gardaí on the beach and bring in more civilians. There's so many things to tackle, as you said, and the way these things go, I mean, you see it all the time. There isn't, as you mentioned, an implementation board or there's another that it might be tucked into an Oireachtas mm-hmm. committee to examine how best to do this in the interest of democracy. You know, it, it's always put off. So I'd be very sceptical about these goals actually being achieved within the time frame set out. OK, but uh, undoubtedly there'll be a, a lot of discussion and uh, debate in relation to some of the cost-neutral measures that are involved in this and uh, one of uh, the more controversial things will be giving the Commissioner uh, the power to appoint his management team although it's early days for the Commissioner I'm sure he'll play a huge role in all of this. Uh, I, I gather that there were a lot of TDs missing yesterday Today as well with the ploughing on. Yes, well, there's a bit of a mass exodus as there is every year when they pull the wellies on over the suit. They go in. I, I you know I saw a number of TDs 
going into shops here around Dublin to buy a brand new pair of wellies because they didn't have one. You think they'd stock one up for the few years of the ploughing at least. But uh, lots of them down there today. The Taoiseach was due to be there today as well, but unfortunately because of the weather, because of Storm Alley, the start of the ploughing has been delayed to the 11th. The Taoiseach now actually won't make his annual appearance. I'm not sure will he be too distressed about not getting to do that despite the, the polls in the last couple of days that have said Fine Gael's support among farmers is actually quite down mm. given the year that they've had. But a lot of them are down there. Michael D. Higgins, I think, was actually the most interesting one to watch because you had all the presidential hopefuls and really he stole the show. I wasn't down there myself, but mm. from what I heard and what I read and watched, he was inundated with people who were babies being passed over to for Michael D to kiss or christen them. And there was even an awkward moment with Sean Gallagher where the two of them were ascending up onto a... Uh, uh, up onto some sort of a stage and Gallagher couldn't quite get up Michael D bending down to have a quick word with him while she's hating <laughs> to fly on the wall there and know what he said mm, yeah. but uh, yeah they're all you know trying to get in among and I suppose stir up the farmer vote ahead of this election and then whatever wants to come after that Yeah and uh, I think the Kian Corla was not too amused because of uh, the turnout for the private members uh, debate Sinn Féin uh, were looking to reverse the closure the decision to close uh, the post offices uh, that uh, are to happen in the coming weeks and months yeah, that was a debate that was happening last night and it was one that dominated uh, quite a few of the rural TDs issues. I mean, it is a huge one for parts of rural Ireland where these are being closed. I mean, Minister Dennis Nocton was in the chamber before that and was excoriated by Fianna Fáil's Timmy Dooley saying that Fine Gael doesn't care about old people, they don't care mm. about people who use this. Just because the numbers are down doesn't mean you have to close it. It's still a social space as well as whatever other services the post offices provide. But the turnout wasn't, wasn't fantastic for what the first day back should be really it kind of felt more like a Friday evening by the time things were ramping up into that debate last night but it's one we haven't heard the end of certainly because there's a lot of people unhappy there were protests outside the Dáil mm. nothing like the kind of protests we would have seen a few years ago on the return of the Dáil where there was thousands of people out there was a few ones scattered throughout the day but still people unhappy with a range of issues from health to housing and indeed mm. the closure of those post offices. Yeah, and uh, indeed, uh, Minister Nocton uh, putting up a, a fairly strong defence about uh, the €50 million Euro that's being invested in the network, which will see post offices stay open, despite the fear not too long ago uh, that uh, the uh, idea of having post offices was becoming one of the past. We'll hear more about that. But uh, given the lacklustre start to the day yesterday, and despite the motions uh, that will cause some controversy in uh, uh, the next couple of weeks to do with housing. Uh, does it, it look as uh, though the politicians are, are going to plod along into the next budget and get to the end of the year at least? It's hard to say. There's different camps within both Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil at the moment, who, some of them who absolutely do not want an election and who genuinely believe that if we go into one, there is, there's unlikely to be a clear winner. There's not going to be a majority government. So then you get into the territory where we were the last time where there was 70 days of negotiations to form a government. It could take weeks or even months. And Fianna Fáil probably in that situation unlikely to go back into a confidence supply arrangement. And that would be absolutely terrible timing given what we have to come in Brexit. So within the month of the Brexit negotiations, you could have effectively a caretaker Taoiseach who doesn't have any power or mandate to actually rule and go and represent Ireland. There's the other camp then who think that, particularly within Fine Gael, now is absolutely the time to have an election, that they're riding high in the polls, they're not going to get much higher, 11 points ahead of Fianna Fáil in the latest one, and that they should button run, go and do as best they can. They think Leo Varadkar will push them up another few points in the course of the campaign. He certainly is 
been seen to be a good campaigner when he was going for the leadership. They think he can bring that to a, a general election as well and that they could have a much more forceful mandate and not have to rely on Fianna Fáil again. Then within Fianna Fáil, there are those who are just sick of the confidence of the supply arrangement, who think that it hasn't done anything for them for the past two years. They've been going nowhere in terms of the polls. And if they extend it, if they agree to another two years, it's going to be another two years of purgatory for them and that they won't actually achieve anything. A really difficult position for Micheál Martin, where he can't clearly go and win an election mm. at the moment based on the poll figures. But if he does cut and run, if he says, no, we're sick of this, he faces the prospect of losing a third election. And for any leader, that's likely curtain. All right, we'll leave it on that now. Thanks indeed for joining us this morning. Sean Defoe, our political correspondent. Michael Reed on LMFM. The Take Back uh, the City campaign has uh, sparked much uh, debate, not just because of uh, the response of hooded police officers uh, to young people occupying houses, but to the type of uh, demonstration that's involved. Uh, Some have been surprised by Father Peter McVerry, who supports uh, the actions long as it doesn't involve violence. Peter, good morning to you and thanks for joining us. It is illegal nonetheless, so how is it that you supported and are you surprised that people are surprised? No, I'm not. Uh, I'm not surprised. It's, it's clearly a very divisive issue. However, I think uh, uh, we have to understand the frustration of so many people. Uh, the, uh, every month the homeless figures reach a new record high. Uh, every three months when the rents come out, uh, the rents have reached a new record high. Pri- property house prices are going up by 10% a year. And the government mantra from all the ministers is our policies are working. <laughs> you just have to give us time. So it creates enormous frustration amongst people and enormous anger as well. Young people particularly have been told by successive governments that what they need to do is stay in school, <clears throat> work hard, get a good leaving cert, go to college, get a good degree, and then Ireland will look after them. But what they've about done, the violence? They've done all that. They've done all mm. that. And many of them can't leave their parents home because they can't afford it. Many of them are paying huge amounts in rent, and some of them are just feeling, look, I'm better off emigrating. So there's a huge amount of anger there amongst particularly young people that they have been fooled, fooled by government, uh, and that there really is very, very a stressful future ahead of them in Ireland or no future ahead of them in Ireland. But what about the violence? Uh, I mean, have you heard about the violence on North Frederick Street? Richard Boyd Barrett has been talking about police brutality. Uh, He told the Dáil yesterday that some of the protesters were hospitalised with concussion, cuts and bruises or had to get stitches as a result of the violence of hooded Gardaí and the private security people who used excessive violence against peaceful protesters. I'm not aware of what violence was used or what injuries were caused, but clearly I abhor all violence from any side. And I think the violence is totally objectionable and it's counterproductive because if the protesters use violence, what happens is that the focus becomes on the violence and not on the empty buildings. Focus should be on empty buildings lying there unused while people are looking for homes. That's what the uh, that's what Raise the Roof protest is about. Mm. 
about highlighting the absurdity and indeed the obscenity of having empty habitable buildings while people are looking for a home and nothing should distract from that uh, from that focus and violence for me is yes totally objectionable uh, and totally counterproductive okay uh, are we going to see more of uh, this uh, because uh, there have been workshops on barricading yourself in and that sort of thing uh, yes, I, I think we are going to see more of it. There's a lot of frustration out there. There's a lot of anger out there, particularly amongst younger people. Uh, you have people going to college who can't afford to to pay the rent mm. in the in the uh, very excessive rents being demanded, both in the private rented sector and now in the new uh, student accommodation that's being provided. A lot of anger, a lot of frustration, and uh, and a lot of frustration with government. People don't. But trust might this compound the problem because I. I mean, apart from anything else, you're going to have an increased policing budget, aren't you? Hey, you may have. I mean, if somebody takes over an empty building, does it without violence, doesn't do any damage to the building, what they're doing is simply highlighting this building is empty, this building and others like it should be used for accommodation, and I see absolutely no problem with them using that method to highlight uh, to highlight an issue that has been ignored by government. The government have been promising mm. an empty home strategy now for years, and we haven't seen it. Uh, you know, the, uh, the new, in the, I was reading the newspaper this morning about the new Metro North, and they were going to compulsorily purchase lots of homes including an apartment block with 70 apartments in it, mm. to compulsorily purchase those in order to build Metro North. Mm. But when you ask the government to compulsorily purchase empty buildings, the answer is, oh, it's, it's very costly, it's very time-consuming, I don't think we can do that. The government, there's no commitment to using those empty buildings, bringing them back into use as fast as possible. There is no commitment from government to do that, and the, uh, the raise the roof, uh, occupying empty homes, is simply a way of putting pressure on government. We're not happy. I I, I saw that report uh, and uh, some of uh, the people had only just bought the apartments uh, and moved in and they're going to be taken back off them and it can be done if there's the will to do it uh, but in terms of occupying buildings uh, it it is a crime and I suppose uh, there's never a victimless crime. What about the victims in this, the people who own these properties? Well, there's two different rights here. There's the right of somebody to do what they want with their property and to leave it empty if they Mm. wish to. There's the right of people to have a home, but the right of people to have a home far outweighs the right of somebody to leave their property empty. And so uh, that's the reason why we would be arguing for for substantial compulsory purchase orders to be issued on empty properties. It's it's just, it's it's... It's, it's, I won't say criminal, but it's certainly immoral to leave properties lying empty when people are screaming out for a home. Not to have a home is so destructive. It's so destructive to families. It's so damaging to children that nothing really uh, uh, compares to that. And uh, uh, yeah, somebody with an empty property ought to be encouraged to bring it back into use. If they don't, mm. that's the first thing. Of course, they should be encouraged with grants, and they are encouraged with grants. But if they don't do it, then it's use it or lose it, compulsory purchase order. Okay, so uh, the victims are, are victims because of government failings. There's victims all the time. I mean, the victims at the moment are those homeless families and mm. children, particularly, uh, who, who have no home but and that, who have that, no idea when failing, they're going to have a home. But that's the government failing, isn't it? It's not because yeah. uh, uh, of somebody's inaction because they've decided to leave a house vacant. 
No, it's because, of, uh, yes, it's because of government inaction. We need to build social housing. We need to build social housing very uh, as fast as possible and at a very substantial rate. The government had plans to build maybe 2,000 social houses a year. That's hopelessly inadequate, given the scale of the problem. We need to build social housing. We need to take back as many empty homes as we can possibly do and use them for accommodation and we need legislation to prevent people coming into homelessness to prevent landlords throwing people out onto the street to prevent banks and vulture funds throwing people out onto the street yeah we there is the government inaction is the primary cause of of the homelessness that we're experiencing today okay peter we have to leave it there but thank you indeed for joining us as always peter mcvery jesuit priest who works with the homeless Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now let's find out what you've been saying to us. Marie Kearns joins us with some of the calls and text messages that have been coming to us this morning. Good morning to you, Marie. Good morning, Michael, and to everybody listening in. Lots in on a whole range of topics you'll be glad to hear. Kathleen phoned in initially, Michael, just to express her sadness and her shock at that stabbing in Dundalk yesterday. She says that people really are very upset over it in the town and her heart goes out to the poor lady who was killed and, of course, the family that has been left behind. Uh, Paula was in touch and uh, Paula was in touch regarding housing, Michael. And from her point of view, she was just asking that would you mention maybe sometime to politicians about landlords refusing to sign HAP? She says that this is an issue that she has come across in her, in her own particular family. And she says it's so hard to get a house to rent that she feels it is an issue that should be highlighted. OK, well, there is a, a way for you to complain uh, because uh, it's illegal actually for landlords uh, to refuse HAP tenants uh, and if that is uh, the case you should be making a complaint to the Residential Tenancies Board the RTB. Okay, just staying on housing then, uh, Louise was in touch to say I'm not really surprised uh, Michael that Peter McFerry is uh, expressing support for people who have uh, who are trying to highlight the homeless crisis. He is a compassionate man who understands probably more than anyone else the seriousness of the situation and how frustrated and angry that people are. And I just want to say to him, please keep up the good work. Okay. Another listener says that uh, Amory from Navin phoned in and she says that the government uh, has announced this plan this and you know, via an agency to build more housing and to provide housing. And while on the face of it, it does sound like a good idea, the problem, in my opinion, is that when are we actually going to see these houses being available? That we need to have measures implemented straight away to make housing available for those who can't get on the property ladder. So that's her thoughts okay. on that. Uh, going back then to your interview with our political correspondent, Sean Defoe, uh, we had a phone call from a listener who says, it's the same old, same old in this country, Michael. Parties pretending to be at each other's throats, mm. but yet kiss and make up to protect their own skins. That's the way I see it. And I'm talking about Fianna Fáil here. This comes in from Sean. They're always giving out about things that Fine Gael are doing. I hear them on your show all the time. But yet, they have the opportunity to do something, but they don't. What's that all about? He wants He wants to know. Hmm. Okay. Well, I, I, I'm not sure what it, <laughs> they have the opportunity to do. I presume he means uh, to pull the plug on the government to, to withdraw the support through the confidence and supply agreement. Uh, the 
only downside of that from a Fianna Fáil perspective is that it could turn out worse for them. Okay, after the ploughing championship, say Seamus from the talk, he was listening also to your interview with Sean Devon. He's asking, have they not more important things to be doing? It was only their first day back, for heaven's sake, and mm. now they're down the country prancing around at the ploughing. This country is an absolute joke, yeah. say Seamus. Well, I suppose <laughs> it's important for politicians to press the flesh, as they'd say, and get out and meet. <laughs> The people who may or may not vote for them and uh, the Ploughing Championship obviously a wonderful opportunity to meet a lot of people at the one stage and to meet uh, a very important sector of society uh, not just uh, the farming sector but rural Ireland uh, because uh, so many people will be attending the Ploughing Championship so it is a a great opportunity but maybe they should uh, time the dull sitting uh, to come after the Ploughing Championship or something like that. You mean make it later for when they come back? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) or have 
by putting local jobs in that industry before the health of the nation and before the extreme cost to the state for drink-related problems through our health and garda services. Okay, well, I think Declan Brownock said he he wasn't doing that, uh, that uh, he was trying to get a a balance between the two and that not everybody has a, a problem with drink. Deirdre phoned in uh, in relation to the newspaper review and regarding the condition of Garda, Garda, the, Garda Navin, the Garda station in Navin even, Michael. And she says that it's obviously not fit for purpose that anybody that goes into the Garda station will tell you, the Garda station will tell you that. And wonders, is there not a land or uh, a site available in the town that could be designated for a complete mm. new station. Yeah, well, it is interesting when you hear about all of these stations uh, around the country that are falling in and themselves uh, dilapidated buildings and so on and dire conditions for people to work in, let alone for people to try and raise complaints uh, of a serious nature with uh, the police force. With And then on the other hand, uh, you hear things like, uh, well, that police force need a mobile hand device yes. to be issued to every single guard in the country and cameras on all of their uniforms and all of these other measures that would cost a, an arm and a leg. A text from um, uh, no name, Michael, but it just came in uh, to the machine from a listener who says that the county manager should do a council tenant rent review. As in some cases, council tenants have more disposable income than, for example, maybe a man or, or a woman with two or three kids who are both working but are on low income and pay tax and PRSI. This listener says, in one case I know of a family of adults, three working and four on social welfare, who are council tenants and they have a combined income income weekly of over €1,600. They've gotten repairs done to their house by the council. I think councillors should open their eyes because there are people living in the same estate as council tenants who have nowhere near the same income but yet can't afford many things and uh, they can't get cancer repairs to their property. This is what this listener mm. is saying. Uh, that you have to really look at the bigger picture and what people have coming into the house in terms of an income. OK, but the rent is based on a percentage of the income, isn't it? That's that's what I thought now, Michael. Uh, another listener was in touch on the topic of the presidential election to say, Michael, just wondering, will you be do- will you be doing, Michael, a presidential debate on the show? <laughs> Would you fancy that one? Don't know about that. We'll see. <laughs> Watch this space. Yeah. Um, so, Michael, we'll finish yeah. up on that one. All right. Thanks for that, Marie. Thanks to everybody who's been in touch with us. If you'd like to add to what's been said, as always, we'd love to hear from you. Our telephone number is 1850-715-958. Marie and Maggie are taking calls this morning, as I say, 1850-715-958. Our telephone number, and you can text us as well. Our text number is 86 658 Michael Reed on LMFM. Well, the storm is wreaking havoc, same, and bringing electricity down right across the region. The ESB tells us that there's nearly 1,200 people without power in the Carlingford Bush area, 1,500 in Drybridge, nearly 1,000 people in the Slane area, almost 100 people in Randallstown, 567 homes without power in Navan, 1,200 in Carrick-Macross and about 50 in Balbriggan.
rigging at this stage and crews are trying to restore power despite the high winds as we speak. Let's go to the Sinn Féin motion on post offices which called on the government to prevent the closure of 159 post offices and advertise new contracts for them. We're joined by local TD in Midwest, Petter Tobin. Good morning to you and thanks for joining us. Uh, this was uh, rejected, uh, I think, quite strongly by the government last night. Yeah, well, <clears throat> there wasn't a vote carried out last night, but the government basically have stated that uh, they're not going to support the motion as it stands by ourselves. Uh, so obviously it's, we have to wait to see where Fianna Fáil are going to uh, go with this particular motion uh, to see will the motion pass. Um, just the, the context of this is a couple of weeks back, um, I attended a demonstration in Kildalki by young school children who walked the length of the road from Kildalki to Trim in high-vis jackets early in the morning to protest that they were losing school buses. Um, I went then to Collinstown later that day. I went called into the local shop. It was the first day that they hadn't got their uh, post office open, and the local shop told me that their takings for the day were well down on it. I went to another uh, town, uh, Clonmelon, just on the West Mead, Mead border, and it's a lovely broad street, lovely houses, um, but nearly every second house is empty at the moment. And there's only about one bus that comes in in the morning and one bus that, that leaves late at night. And that bus is, is not regular, you can't depend on it. And that evening I was in Ratmalayan and we were at a, the, um, a post office meeting there. And they were telling me that you know there's literally no mobile phone coverage in the area. There's, there's literally no broadband in the area. Again, very little buses. And now because of the lack of post office, a person on a pension will have to get a taxi that could cost about 35 euros return journey, which is nearly 20% of their income. So they're spending 20% of their income collecting their income at the moment. And this is the state of rural Ireland. And I was driving home that night in the dark, and I was just saying, I, like, the, the, it's just incredible that the, the fabric of our rural communities right up, up and down the county is being destroyed by Fine Gael's cuts um, and the problem with the, the, the 159 post offices that closed, really that's only the tip of the iceberg because Unpost sought 230 closures um, but didn't get them. But they, they got the 159. But they've told me in my committee that there's actually 500 post offices that they deem to be non-commercially viable. And there's no doubt in my mind that under the present policy direction from the government, if this continues we'll see those 500 close in the future as well. And we have to ask ourselves a question. Do we want a society that population is distributed evenly across the country, or do we want to go down the route, which is, which is very likely at this moment, that 50% of the population of this state will reside mm. in Dublin, uh, where obviously it's no good for people in Dublin because they have... Well, there's very strong arguments against what you're saying. As I was saying, uh, the uh, position was uh, strongly defended by the Minister last night. The vote would be on Thursday, I think. Uh, but uh, it was very poor attendance last night, wasn't it? There was. There was the Sinn Féin TDs uh, there, and um, there was one or two Fine Gael TDs. There was... a. Uh, um, a handful of uh, other TDs in the in the area. Unfortunately, to be honest, when people don't have speaking rights mm. in particular bills, they seldom actually um, participate in the in the debates. That what did happen. you think of Dennis Nocton's contribution? Well, like the, the government is hanging these cuts on the basis of a survival the, plan that has the support of the postmasters. <clears throat> well, first of all, just. The point here is he's hanging it on the basis that these postmasters wanted to retire and really that these 
this deal was a facilitation of their needs. Well, it's a voluntary retirement scheme, yes. Yeah, so yeah, but like, <clears throat> I have no problem. I'm, I'm not making any um, decision on, you know, the or any comment on the decision of these particular postmasters or mistresses. They're entitled to make any retirement plans that they want, but their individual retirement plan should not become the actual de facto decision for a whole community's survival. Like, it, like it, there's no way that you would have a retirement plan in LMFM which would dictate the closure of LMFM. What you would have is you'd have a person put into the role to, f- you know, fulfil that individual's role when that person has retired. Mm. And it, the same logic would, would, would have to occur. But this is a 50 million euro survival, survival plan. Well, let me tell you, Unpost made a profit last year. Yeah. And they made a profit, a semi-state body, which should have the objective of public service mm. central to it, made a profit last year while closing down post offices. Now, where is the, where is the public service there? Yeah, like, well, the and, Minister and, and, was and making also, the point uh, that Unpost is unique uh, across Europe. Uh, it's one of uh, the few networks that has moved into the modern era uh, and is expanding its service. Uh, it's expanding its service from uh, five days a week letter service to uh, six days a week parcel service. But see, the, the minister told us about all of these wonderful things that they're going to do. Yes, and, you know, and the I, government I is putting 30 million into it. But why not implement those changes? Invest in it. In loss-making, the service, in loss-making post then, offices. But, like, again, this, it, like, this comes down to the idea of public service. Well, hold on, now, it if, comes down if, to if, you, it comes down, comes down to you asking me to pay somebody to sit in an office doing nothing all day uh, for populist reasons. Absolutely not. And that's, that's exactly what it comes down to. 100% incorrect. And I'll tell you why. You have bus services in this country, and some of the bus services are highly profitable. You have other bus services in the, the country that go into smaller towns and villages, and they make a loss. Mm. But the profitable services subsidize the, the, the services that don't make a profit. Yes. Because if we reduce services in this country but to only service. where the profit exists, well then we will have people only living in very large cities to the death of uh, rural Ireland. But you can't, you can't, that's not you, a can't you can't have a, a post office on every street corner or, or at every blade of grass. Yeah. Uh, and is, what is there a post office at every blade of grass? Well, there's too many of them. Uh, there's no. 500 that are not viable. They're closing 159, and I can't remember how many it is, but they're going to open more new post offices so that nobody will be more than 15 miles away from one. Well, first of all, the, the, they're, they're currently closing 159 post offices and opening five post offices. Right, yeah. So mm. it's, not, it's not even like two steps forward and one step back. We, it is a whole lot of steps back and well, very little to add. Well, hold on. They're opening, they're, co- they're no, opening no, the five to, 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 to give people that distance uh, so that they're not further than 50 miles away from a, a post office and they're putting 50 million into it. The government has committed to giving 30 million to the network. But my question here is, for example, is why not actually build the service up, first of all? Why not put a proper banking service into uh, Unpost? Maybe create distance, remote uh, opportunities for, for areas that don't have broadband, that there would be hot desks with broadband in the post office so that they can bring clients to them. Why not allow for them to sell insurance, loans, government services uh, to beat the band in those post offices? Why not make it a, a one-stop shop for prescription drop-offs mm. for transport did you make, hubs. Did you, ex- did you make these suggestions to Bobby Kerr? 
first of all, I've made these uh, suggestions a number of times uh, in my committee. My committee wrote a very detailed report. Did you make the suggestions to Bobby Kerr? I wasn't involved in this post office, uh, the Bobby Kerr element of the post office. It was open, was it was open to in. anybody to make a submission, and Dennis Nocton said he was one of only five TDs. Michael. And senators who made a submission to the Michael, care report. I, I wrote a, a report uh, a year and a half ago on rural Ireland, which was the largest report carried out by Naroctus Committee on rural Ireland for a long period of time. We interviewed and brought in experts from 100 different areas, and we put in very detailed suggestions and requests in how UNPUS could, could be strengthened. We've, I've done the work on this. There's no doubt about that. And in actual fact, I've set up the, the Rathmaline um, Save our protest, protest, our, our mm. post office uh, campaign, and we're also working on the same in Clonmelon at the moment. And what I would say to people is, this doesn't have to be a done deal. What we need to do is make sure that people send in their requests to the review panel in Unpost, so that these decisions are overturned, especially in the villages where there is a commercial centre. I'm not crippled? saying that every crossroads should but, have a post but, office. But, but people should think about it, because the minister is suggesting that that could cripple the network, and that what they're doing instead is what you suggested should okay. be done. They're building it up, they're putting €50 million Euro into it, and they're going to expand government services to the post First offices, all, there'll be financial services, e-commerce, and small businesses as well. The problem with Fine Gael is, if you take the future tense out of their vocabulary, they become silent. Everything that they want to do is somewhere way down on the horizon. The point is, Unpost is profitable today. So Unpost last year made a profit with the functioning of all of these particular post offices. Logic would dictate that you would make the investment, improve the service levels, so that the footfall can increase in those post offices, and then you make the decisions potentially on viability mm. with the view that you have a public service obligation to the people of Mead as well. Because if you don't have a public service obligation in transport, in post office, in broadband, etc., you have an empty rural uh, society. And, and there's, a, there's a second element to this as well. We talk about broadband connectivity. There's a necessity for human connectivity here too. Because if we could go down mm. the routes in actually closing down rural Ireland, so many people will actually become isolated in their own homes. And as a result, we know that that, that creates difficulties. So do you believe that the Postmasters Union is wrong? Do you believe, in, do you believe that the Postmasters the post are wrong? Loneliness due but, to the, the damage that I know that, done yeah, but, but do you believe that the Postmasters are wrong? I, I believe that the, post, the Postmasters should not be the, determining the, the policy on rural Ireland. The Postmasters want a deal done for their, their Postmasters. They're a, they're a union representing the Postmasters and Postmistresses in this country. Yes. I'm a public representative they, representing the people that live in those communities. They're, they're the union that represents the small businesses that are post offices. These are self-employed people and they feel that there's a deal here that can ensure their continued existence. There's, they feel that there's a deal for these individuals who want to retire and want to take the package. Ah, it's I, have not spoken, just that. I have spoken to the Postmasters Union. Indeed, yeah. we had their representative in uh, the Oireachtas yesterday uh, watching Sinn Féin's PMB on this particular issue. And they will tell you that they want the post, uh, the post office system in this country uh, protected. They'll actually tell you that the system in which UNPUST mm. has created but they believe is this actually is the reducing the transactions. And if you reduce the transactions, you reduce the viability of these uh, uh, particular businesses because they can't make a profit. So what we need is to increase the transactions, increase the footfall. But unfortunately, Fine Gael's ideology in all of this is privatise it, 
make sure that the, the state doesn't have an involvement in the role in the particular delivery of the service. And we see it in the housing crisis. What do you mean private housing? In the health service. What do you mean? I mean, they are private business. They're small businesses uh, no, uh, as we speak and they're to be given money now by the government. Uh, the they're to is, get 15 un- million is, to protect the mail and 15 million to protect post office counter services. Unpost is a semi-state business, Michael. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to take the services out of it. In actual fact, Joan Burton in her wisdom a few years ago decided that certain social welfare payments would no, no longer be available within the post offices, that people had to go to the banks for them. The banks are private organisations. Mm. Even if, when I want to get a, a driver's licence, it's a private company that now runs the, runs the, the provision of a driver's licence. Yeah, but isn't it well, odd not that postmasters sure believe that the government is going to protect their business and Sinn Féin feels otherwise? Why not make sure that these state services are delivered through the, the state organisations and that we have in villages and towns in our, in, in, across the land, we have older people, younger people, community people coming together, having conversations, collecting their money, because in many places there's no banks in these areas. The, the, the talk of doing internet banking is rubbish because there's no service, uh, broadband service in the areas. They take their money out of the post office, they go across the road, hmm. they spend it in the shop, they get, get their hair done in the shop, and they may have a bite to eat. Okay, in the well, there's the 80,000 80, well. euro being allocated uh, to a, a digital assist program, which will see 10 post offices being equipped to become digital hubs. Well, that's a welcome, but it's not a quid pro quo. It's not a kind of this digital hub is can be delivered but we will close all these other places. And in actual fact, Uderos Nogelta at the moment is doing great work providing digital hubs mm. in Gaeltoc areas that mean that actually businesses are well, starting to open up in these Gaeltoc The government areas. isn't closing and any post offices. It would be logical offices. to do so. The yeah. government isn't closing any post offices. The postmasters applied for a retirement package, for a pension, and have been given that. I know that uh, on, you, a, on a voluntary basis, nobody shut them down. They decided to throw us down and radio, getting, And nobody can see whether you have a straight face or not on that question, to be honest. But you know, as well as I do, Michael, that the government's, the outcome of the government's action is a closed post office. If the government wanted to retain that post office, they would give the retirement package to the postmaster. But they would facilitate the, the uh, a tendering or an application okay. process for another business. In Rapaline, for example, the local business... So you want, what, wants, instead wants of 50 million, 100 million? What's good, sorry, the, the, in Rapaline, the local uh, business wants to apply for the, po- the post office licence. In Clonmelon, the local business wants to apply for the post office. In Clonmelon, it's a town of 650 people. And Post told us that every town with 500 more in it would have a, a post office, and clearly that's not the case. In Rathmalayan, they're building another 100 houses in the next uh, in the next year, and yet they're closing down services. Okay. And I wouldn't mind, but the people who are li- many of the people who are living in these towns and villages in Mead and Loud at the moment are people who were forced out of Dublin during the Celtic Tiger due to the nonsense prices of houses. The new houses that are being built in these areas are going to be the same, and yet they're going to be isolated with regard to services okay. because Fine Gael are closing down rural Ireland. I've got to leave it there. Thank you indeed, as always, for joining us here on the programme today. Sinn Féin TD for Meath West, Patter Tobin. 
Michael Reed on LMFM. Thousands of people without electricity, as we've been hearing because of uh, the storm and many trees are coming down, it would seem, just about everywhere today. If you're driving, please be careful. Watch for trees falling or other debris, or indeed uh, you may cross uh, a road uh, to come across a blocked road or because of trees down for that matter. There's uh, a road blocked uh, in Navin, the Cummins Road, because of a tree down, another uh, tree down uh, which is outside of Dramiskin, uh, between Dramiskin and Castle Blaney. The road is blocked there. A tree down on the Blaney Road uh, outside of Dundalk. Lots of trees down in that area. Apparently, Omeath to Carlingford uh, Road is blocked because of a tree down outside of uh, the Garda Station. And uh, there's a tree down on the Ardcath to Garristown Road. Uh, it's impassable as we speak. Uh, be warned and be careful if you can. Now, as you've been hearing, European leaders are to meet in Austria today to talk uh, about Brexit. It follows a meeting of foreign ministers yesterday and we're joined by Jim Wells, DUP MLA for South Down. There's talk now, Jim Wells, it would seem uh, that because it will be impossible to reach a deal in October that the talks may be pushed out to November. Uh, is that something that you'd support? Uh, we, we would, uh, though, of course, we would only support it in the sense that uh, it would give it a chance to completely remove this proposal of a, 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 a some form of backstop within Northern Ireland. Um, this isn't on. I mean, we, we simply would accept it and we would use our votes in Westminster to vote against it. Well, there has the to be a backstop uh, and we will have the unwavering support of our European partners to make sure that that is the case. Uh, That is, it would seem, uh, if we change our corporation tax rates or how we uh, apply those rates, for that matter, reports from Bloomberg say that solidarity doesn't come for free and that perhaps our European partners are set to stab us in the back. Does that come as a surprise to you? European Union will do anything possible to make certain that if the United Kingdom leaves Europe, it's done with a fair degree of pain because they want to set an example to others who may follow suit. But let's make it absolutely clear. The backstop option effectively puts the border down the middle of the Irish Sea. It means that Northern Ireland is treated differently from every other part of the United Kingdom. That is not on. In exactly the same way, if you put a, a border down the middle of the, the Shannon, for instance, the people of Galway and Mayo would be up in arms. It is just not going to happen. We are an integral part of the United Kingdom, and we don't care whether it's a hard back, backstop or a soft one, or whether border checkpoints are carried out uh, close to the border or well away from the border. That is not on. Our goods and services must flow freely between us and the rest of the United Kingdom. Yeah, I'm not sure if uh, these reports from Bloomberg are accurate, uh, but if they are, perhaps they make the case for Brexit, uh, given uh, the attitude of other European countries to countries like Ireland. Uh, People will remember one time the president of uh, the European Central Bank, uh, Mr. Trichet, suggesting that a a bomb would go off in Dublin's financial centre if uh, we didn't uh, jump to the European dance, and now we're being told that we have to change our corporation tax rates, if this report is correct, if we want to enjoy the support of Europe in terms of combating the risks of Brexit. 
Yes, and it just shows you the dictatorial powers that the European Union have. Uh, not only can they dictate to the Irish in terms of corporation tax, but they also say to all 28 members that you can only enter into trade deals which we approve of. Uh, and that's the great benefit of Brexit, the United Kingdom, is that once we're out, uh, we can uh, negotiate trade deals with anyone in the world on a, an equal basis. And I see this as a wonderful opportunity for the UK economy. I can see uh, great possibilities in the future, particularly with the English-speaking Commonwealth and also India and uh, China. So therefore, you know, the reality is that Europe has to make this so painful that the Hungarians and the Dutch and the French and anybody else who might be thinking of following suit will say, oh, we can't bear the pain. But certainly any backstop will be unacceptable. And we have a, a pivotal role within Westminster and we will vote to stop any proposal that has any suggestion of the backstop arrangement. We must leave on exactly the same basis as every other party in the United Kingdom. Uh, there's a, a report uh, by Lord Jen, John Kerr, uh, which uh, says it, it may be possible uh, for uh, people to vote in a, a second referendum that the caste has not died as such as yet. Uh, would you support another referendum? Absolutely not. Um, unlike the Irish, we don't go for a best out of three option. Uh, if, if the decision was made, people knew exactly what they're voting for. And those who are demanding a second referendum are the losers. They couldn't cope with the fact that over a million people, uh, by a majority of over a million people, we voted to leave the European Union. So they're trying every possible move to deflect that decision. They're saying that it's going to be the four horses of the apocalypse are coming over the hill as we speak. There'll be a plague of locusts. There'll be economic uh, downturn. There'll be Armageddon. Uh, and they're saying also that they, they, they didn't agree with the decision, uh, that which is an insult to the 17 million people who did vote to leave. So let's have another go. Let's have another referendum. Mm. Uh, the Irish did it until they came out with, up with the right uh, decision that the government wanted. Well, we're not in that uh, business. We will maintain the view that the people have a right to speak. They've spoken very clearly. And Brexit must happen on the 29th of March 2019. And for many of us, that couldn't come too soon. But I, I suppose uh, people make mistakes uh, and if people feel they've made a mistake and would like to vote uh, again, uh, should that not be respected? Well, would, would, would the same argument be made have it voted to stay? Would the argument be made that there should be a second referendum because people had made a mistake? I have to say I lived uh, throughout all of this debate and I have to say there was not a more intensely uh, negotiated mm. and debated argument ever in the history of the United Kingdom than Brexit. Brexit dominated the headlines for the two years leading up to the referendum. People knew exactly what they were voting for, and there would be uproar in the United Kingdom on a constitutional crisis if the people had made the decision. And those who think they know better would turn around and say, you're the wrong type of voters, therefore we are going to have a second referendum. That would plunge the country into constitutional crisis and uncertainty, and I don't think anybody wants that. Let's go ahead, let's get out of Europe, and let's see the wonderful future that lies for Northern Ireland and the rest of the United Kingdom when we're free from the shackles of the bureaucrats in Brussels and Strasbourg. Uh, and what do you think will happen in terms of an agreement? Do you believe one can be reached? I think we're going to probably move into the transition period. I, I mean, we're, getting, we're, we're just about six months to the official departure date. 
and I suspect it will not be a cut and dried decision. I think March will come and go and there still will be negotiations. So we'll move into the transition period, the two years, and it'll be sorted out at that stage. I mean, let's be honest about this, Mike. Mm. This was always going to be a difficult and painful process. Any marital breakup of any scale will be difficult. And we're going to have to endure that difficulty and confusion to get it right and then get out. And then there's a very bright future for the United Kingdom outside of Europe. But remember this, 60% of our trade in Northern Ireland goes to the rest of the United Kingdom. Mm. We cannot in any shape or form endanger that trading relationship. That's where it's all at as far as we're concerned. Only a quarter of our trade goes to Europe. But no agreement for a transition period, isn't that what they're saying? If there isn't an agreement, uh, the United Kingdom collapses out of the European Union. It could well be we're still mm. negotiating the agreement at that stage. Well, then we go into World Trade Organization rules, mm. and we, 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 we don't have any parachute payments to pay. We don't, the European Court of Justice no longer has any rules over us, and we can immediately start to negotiate these trade deals. And remember, remember one in every seven German cars are sold in the UK. And you know, companies in, in, in Spain, Portugal, and Germany, etc., mm. are not going to destroy their market to the UK. They will negotiate because they need our trade. The, 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 the trade imbalance, by the way, is 95 billion euros in favour of Europe, the trade imbalance. So therefore, that's a huge amount of trade that they have to protect. And therefore, as we get closer to March 29th, people will start to talk Turkey, as it were, because they know that many thousands of jobs in the European mainland are at stake as a result of Brexit. But will we know, it's got wrong. Will we know where we're going next month, do you think? Uh, do you think uh, that... I, I think it's more likely to put, put forward into November. No. I, I think... I, I think you know we're running close to the wire here, and mm-hmm. whilst I'm a, maybe you've detected, Mike, I'm a very enthusiastic Brexiteer, mm-hmm. but you know I realise that at a practical level we may have to wait until November, the next round of discussions, for a definitive answer on this. Will we come up with it all signed, sealed, and delivered by next March? I, I have my doubts, but I'd like to think we'll be well on the way. Okay, we'll leave it there for the moment. Thanks as always, Jim Wells, DUP MLA for Southdown. Michael Reed on LMFM. If you were listening to us earlier on, you'd have heard Marie tell us about uh, the front page of uh, the Meath Chronicle, which is reporting on medieval conditions for Gardaí in Navan. Journalist Paul Murphy has uh, the story for the Chronicle, and he joins us uh, this morning. And Paul, your story is based on an interview you've done with uh, the outgoing superintendent. That's it, um, Michael. The uh, Ma- Michael Devine is the as superintendent there for the last thirteen years, and uh, he's retiring next month. So he had a few things to say before he went. Well, he and, uh, he he did it uh, pretty clearly, uh, or spoke fairly uh, candidly uh, to you, describing the conditions as medieval uh, and unacceptable for the members of the force to work in. As he said, the, the, the conditions there are not fit for purpose. I mean, this morning I was looking at an aerial photograph taken by Fran Caffrey of the building, the Navangarda station, in, in, and it looks, it, it's a fine-looking building, mm. but it's an old school, and it's just not adequate to be a divisional headquarters of the Gardaí. That's and, what Michael Devine is saying. Indeed, people could see that photograph on the front of uh, the Chronicle uh, this week. And it is uh, a fine-looking building. Uh, that's from the photograph, at least. I've never been inside. looks great on the outside. What's it like on the inside? And the inside it's, it's extremely cramped. I mean, if you went in there this morning uh, to make a complaint, uh, you'd find it very difficult to be able to make the complaint uh, confidentially to a Garda to find space inside 
that, that's one of the problems. The reception area is tiny. Uh, the um, former chapel in that building is is now the is now the kitchen. Uh, the detectives are in prefabs out of the back of the building. So, I mean, if you compared it, uh, if, uh, Chief Superintendent Fergus Healy in, in that station um, invited members of the Mead Joint Policing Committee to Wexford earlier this year. There's a new divisional HQ built down there. It's six and a half thousand square feet. Mm. Uh, I'm told that the complete Navin site would fit into the prisoner reception area down there. Right. Okay. That gives you an idea of the scale of the thing, you know. Yeah, and, and so small is uh, the station in Navin, which I, I would assume is a, a busy station, that there's only one interview room. So if uh, there's two criminals that need to be interviewed, you've obviously a problem. Well, that's, that's a problem. And, and there, there are times there when prisoners can't be brought to the Navin station. They're brought either to, to Navin or Kells. And... Uh, that, that's, that's a problem for the Gardaí. In addition to that, I mean, they have all the units, the particular units in, in the division, and they they need to be in one place. That's what I'm told by, by, by the superintendent. Mm. And not possible because, as you say, it's far too small. But the solution, uh, Michael Devine, the outgoing superintendent, says is not to extend this building, not to build onto it. No, he, 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 would, to- he would be totally against that. He said the idea should be that there should be a new site chosen. Now, the OPW is in charge of all this. Uh, first of all, of course, yeah, you talk about the money. The, the Wexford HQ uh, cost um, $22 million. So, you know, th- there's, a, there's a priority there, and I don't know where Navin is on that priority list. Mm. But I'm told that they're looking for, the OPW are looking around four sites at the moment. And I think... Basically, I think the, the, the Gardaí themselves would prefer, much prefer, a green field site rather than any extensions or anything like that in the middle of Navan. Which uh, I suppose was going to cost in the region of 22 million euro, uh, as you said was the case in Waterford, uh, I think. Uh, but it calls into question the viability of a lot of things, whether uh, you can do all things at the same time. As we were saying earlier on, this report uh, from the Policing Commission is calling for mobile phones and cameras and all that sort of thing for Gardaí, and it's not costed. And then you've got these other issues uh, that are ongoing. Uh, is there the prospect, uh, you said that the OPW are looking at four sites, uh, are, are they looking to move ahead with this? Well, that's that's the question. I mean, there's a lot of planning has to go into these things, and uh, I would say you won't you won't see a new divisional HQ there in the next perhaps in the next four or five years. There's a lot of a lot of planning to be done now. The new commissioner um, paid a visit to the station uh, last Tuesday, a Tuesday of last week, mm. and he had a look at himself at the at the conditions down there and how how people have to work now. There are uh, Michael Devine says that there are fantastic Gardaí in the station doing a fantastic job uh, under these circumstances, but then they're 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 really hampered. That's what he's saying. He says they're working in medieval conditions. Mm. Well, a, a day like today, I'm sure they're being tested uh, if uh, they're in prefabs, as is anybody in that, uh, and uh, I'm sure uh, that it doesn't do anything to boost morale. No, that's that's. That's a problem. Though the the I, I've come across individual Gardaí. I cover the courts, as you know, as you know, and mm. uh, they're, they're a fine set of people. And the the the, the younger Gardaí these days, the, the the level of training is is very high. 
and uh, that that shows in their in their connection with the public. I mean, the uh, I can tell you that you know I can compare the, um, the younger Gardaí these days to the to the old style guys, and um, the younger fellows are very courteous and very helpful to people. I, I I come across them now pretty regularly, and and I can see them inter inter reacting uh, both with defendants in court and and the ordinary members of the public. Okay, I, I I couldn't certainly from my point of view I couldn't involve them in any way. All right, Paul. Well, uh, people can read more, and indeed, uh, the interview with uh, outgoing Superintendent Michael Devine in uh, the Meath Chronicle. Uh, and thank you, indeed, for joining us here this morning. Paul Murphy, thank journalist you. with uh, the Meath Chronicle, brings our programme to its conclusion. Our time has run out, and as once again, remember there'll be a podcast of today's show available on our website, lmfm.ie. Our thanks to Marie Kearns for producing, Maggie McGuire for researching, and Chris Murray in the control tower. I'm Michael. Please be careful if you're on the roads or uh, out and about today with the high winds and God willing we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show Podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.